Hello and welcome to You Contain Multitudes. On this podcast, we'll explore what it means to intentionally love, live, and succeed on your own terms, while exploring many of the things that make being on this planet so spectacularly interesting. You deserve an existence that fulfills upon your wildest dreams. Why? Well, simply because you contain multitudes. Hello, darlings. Um, Today, I wanted to talk about one of the most powerful tools that I have developed and used in working with my intentional relating clients. And uh, it's gone through a couple of different rebrands, but the name that we're working with right now is called the Intentional Relationship Covenant. And I think that this is the backbone of how to create intentional relationships, whether you're already in one or whether you are single and really wanting to be a co-creator of one. And I'm going to share with you mine at the end of this episode, which you are more than welcome to copy and paste and start out using, but I would highly encourage you to customize it and make it your own so that it really speaks to you in your most motivational language. So what the intentional relating covenant is, is it is a set of agreements that you make with yourself that are non-negotiable, meaning that whenever you have the wherewithal, you show up to these agreements no matter what. You are not going to remember all the time. You are human. But what's so powerful about them is that they become an anchor that helps you be more aware, that helps you remember, that helps you really show up in a way that is consistent with your values and your priorities as a person relating with other people on the planet. Um, and what I love about it is you create agreements with yourself by doing a little bit of a little bit of an audit around what are the things that shut me down? What are the things that prevent me from loving in the way that I want to love and see love in the world? And the reason that it's so powerful that you make these agreements with yourself is that in relationships, whether it's friends or colleagues or a partner, like, Sometimes you're going to be in a bad mood. Sometimes they're going to be in a bad mood. Sometimes you're going to be taxed by work or parenting. Sometimes you're you're going to be frustrated. Sometimes you're going to not want to be generous, right? And what I see take root between people that love each other is really a reactive state of relating where it's like you're not being the way I want you to be. And so I'm actually going to withdraw love and care. And we all do this. It's actually a pretty like natural state to collapse into. And without frameworks, without tools that help us choose higher integrity forms of relating, that's where we'll find ourselves, right? So have you ever, you know, had a partner where let's say you feel like you've been giving a lot, like you've been doing a lot of chores around the house and they haven't, and you start to feel yourself resenting them. And in that resentment, you start to be less kind, be less loving, be less free with your appreciation, be less free with your affection, be less adoring, 
right? That's when you've dropped into this reactive state of where it's tit for tat, where you're not intentionally relating. You are not a stand for the love that you want to see in the world. You are not in the practice. It's supernatural. We've all been there. We all go there under duress, but without an anchor to pull you back into integrity and back into your values, you'll find yourself there all the time or way more often. And you will also find your relationships corroding. You will find that they are less fulfilling, that they are not energizing. And we've hopefully, well, maybe not everybody, but So either you've had this experience or I'm going to paint the picture for you. Relationships done intentionally and maturely are generative. They are sources of energy. They are sources of fulfillment. They are sources of growth. They literally will like help you grow new neurons and synapses and um, teach you to think in new ways. They are sources of healing. And so there's sort of, you have everything to gain and nothing to lose in creating your own covenant with yourself. And what's so powerful about this covenant is, and this set of agreements, vows, if you want to, you know, pull an old, pull, pull, put an old practice with and put a new hat on it, is it really protects against distorted self-sacrifice, right? Like where you start to become a martyr, It protects against martyrdom and it also protects against distorted selfishness. And it helps you return to balance and it helps you return to, again, what I just sort of, I I advocate for over and over is a generous culture in your partnership or in your relationships. Because I think what we all really long for are cultures of generosity cultures of courageous community, cultures of generosity, courageous communication, and courageous loving. And I think that this covenant is one of the single most important tools that I've developed and used in my own life, as well as shared with pretty much anybody that'll listen, that has made profound impacts on the quality of relationships. And so what these agreements are, is they are with yourself and their agreements for the way that you are going to approach relationships. You could do it specifically for romantic relationships. I just create mine with the idea of it being for a romantic partnership. And then I also do my best whenever I remember to apply this to all my relationships. So I just updated mine which is really cool to see how it's changed because I think the last time I did this was two years ago and I'm seeing like a new layer of maturity. So if you've done this before, because maybe you've worked with me, I would encourage you sit back down and say, okay, what is my covenant today? So I have 14. Um, Oftentimes I'll tell people just start with three. Start with three that are easy to remember and and that so you can start practicing this and really flexing this muscle and developing this muscle. So I'll tell the story of the first way that this started was I realized that I had patterns in relating that were not supporting me to create the kind of intimacy that I wanted. And one of them was that when I felt afraid or when I got my feelings hurt or when I felt misunderstood, I would armor up energetically, right? I would, 
I'd sort of like put it, I close these big giant iron doors around my heart and, and kind of withhold openness from my partner. And I realized that this was not fostering the kind of intimacy that I wanted. I wanted very open-hearted, present, caring, freely given love. And yet I wasn't doing that. And so my first agreement that I made with myself was when I most want to close my heart, that is when I will open it. When I want to unplug, that's when I'll plug in. When I want to shut down, that's when I'll lean in. That was the agreement I made with myself. And just like any new skill, it was not my most practiced way of being. So I didn't make this agreement and then turn around and become amazing at keeping my heart open overnight. I made this agreement and then the first time it happened, I realized four days later that I had shut down my heart to my partner. And I was like, oh, I shut my heart down. I was like, but my agreement is I'll open it. And so I opened and I went back. I owned the fact that I had shut my heart. I you know, shared that's not what I want to do. I'm committed to changing this. I'm committed to being open-hearted and giving. And then the next time it took me two days to realize it. And as soon as I realized it, I course corrected. And then it became four hours and then it became two and then it became a half an hour until I could literally be in the moment of feeling those, those big iron doors shutting to protect my heart. And I'd be like, oh no, no, no. And I'd like, you know, like I'd reverse the closure and, and be able to find myself in that moment of hurt, in that moment of fear, in that moment of disconnect, being able to choose sharing an open heart. And it wasn't if my partner was communicating the way that I needed him to communicate. It wasn't, you know, if he's doing everything perfectly. It wasn't if uh, I was only when I was feeling energized and resources, resourced. It was, I do this because this is the kind of love I want to see more in the world. And the impact it had on my partnership was profound. It allowed us to restore, restore and repair after rupture much more quickly. It allowed me to identify things that were hurtful much more quickly because sometimes what will happen is, right, like these, think, these, these tendencies are unconscious. And so like something would happen and then I'd spend four days collecting all my, all my petty complaints, you know, putting them as a, Alison Armstrong says, I'd be putting them in my archive of... <laughs> my, my folder of petty complaints. And then I, you know, and so I, I wasn't even like totally clear on the things that were bothering me because this sort of phenomena would get set in motion. And so now I would say, I am, I would say I'm a pretty much a master at opening my heart, even when I'm afraid, even when my feelings have been hurt. And and I think that that's really powerful. I think that's a really powerful skill to have as somebody who cares about loving fiercely and loving fully and loving courageously. Um, I think it has had profound impacts on uh, my activism. It's had profound impacts on my friendships. It's had profound impacts on the way I am as a team leader, right? And so, yes, you can use the, your romantic partnership as leverage, but ultimately this is about, you know, who do you want to be as a person in a relationship in the world? So that's the story of how 
I created my first covenant agreement with myself. And then I've, I've helped people customize these really based on what are the ways that, that you don't, aren't showing up the way that you know you need to show up and that you want to show up in order to have the kinds of connections you want. So with a, I worked with a mother who had a long history of putting her children's needs first, right? That makes sense, especially when, when little ones are very little. And with her two of her kids out of the household and two finishing up high school, we, re- we recognized that her defaulting to other people's wants and needs first and sacrificing hers was not going to set her up for having a healthy, mature, fulfilling, the healthy, mature, fulfilling relationship that she wanted. And so what she, her, her covenant agreement with herself was, I slow down enough to get clear on my wants and needs, and then I communicate them out loud to the people that need to know. And she just started with one. She practiced one for like three months. And she started seeing, she realized how often she had deep, you know, they'd be talking about a restaurant. And it had become so distorted that, you know, she would know where she wanted to go on her birthday, but like two of the kids would say they wanted to go somewhere else. And so she'd go somewhere else for her own birthday dinner, right? And so she noticed this profound shift in just a couple of months where it didn't cause all this conflict. She would just assert that, no, this is what she really wanted. And then everybody would, would listen. And, and, and she got to invite in all this incredible balance into her, into her life and into her experience. And so one is, it's important that these are customized. And two, I, I cannot stress enough how important it is that these agreements are non-negotiable. That that you show up for these every time you recognize that you are not, right? Like that you have a deep, deep commitment with yourself that is not dependent. It's not conditional. It's not dependent on whether or not, you know, like you got a good night's rest last night or uh, your coworker is making you feel comfortable or your partner did everything that they said they were going to do, right? Because the minute you, they become conditional, the minute that they, that you make it okay for your agreements to collapse based on whether or not someone else is being, you know, perfect, it's useless. Like there's no point. And yet if you commit to these, what I can guarantee you is that you will see profound shifts in your relationships with the people in your life and and you would also just see like profound shifts in the quality of your life in a matter of months again like obviously i'm very into it okay so without further ado i'm going to share the agreements that i have with myself and i'll tell you a little bit about why i've picked those agreements so my very first agreement with myself is see things as they are And where this comes from is my mind loves to spin big old daydreams and fantasies about other people. And while I can't necessarily turn off that way of thinking, this agreement to see things as they are is, is I'm putting in place as number one as an anchor to help me not glaze over the things that might be incompatible or that might not work for me in a relationship. And so this is my commitment to 
being as honest with myself as possible because I really believe that it's only from an honest place that we can love others healthily. My second agreement is communicate courageously. Communicate courageously. And I, I, I say this a lot in my work, but as remembering that the relationships that are for me and for the people like it, where I'm for them and they're for me, is that our truths will always be an offering at the altar of our connection. For my people, for the relationships that are for me, my truth is always going to be an offering at the, that, at the altar of that connection and their truth will always be an offering. If it's not, then th- there's a chance that this is, this is not a person for me and I'm not a person for them. We can only create profound, magical, incredible relationships when we are in the arena of truth. Three, agreement is self, so excuse me, set healthy boundaries with myself and others. Meaning I have to ask the question, what do I want and need and have I shared it out loud? What do I want and need and have I shared it out loud? What's so cool is I can flip this on the other side and I can ask other people, what do you want? What do you need if you weren't worried about hurting my feelings, right? And then, and I also, I mean, I teach, I teach workshops on boundaries because ultimately what boundaries are is their agreement to creation where you're creating agreements about like what we do and don't do, how we do and don't treat each other. And so setting healthy boundaries for myself and others. Four, upholding agreements. So making sure that one, I'm not blindly agreeing to things and that I'm being really conscientious about the agreements I am making and what is required of me in order to uphold those agreements and then upholding those agreements. Five is letting others be responsible for how they show up. So this I think is, part, is it was set up in response to some of the distortion I picked up um, early on in my studying of polarity. And it's also something that I see especially people who are socialized female, who, who were assigned female at birth and, and who were really socialized to adopt certain things that our society wants female people to do, um, which was in polarity, it's often taught that like a woman's like open or that the feminine's open longing heart will evoke masculine integrity (laughs) or will evoke a man's heart. And what I, what I did is I took responsibility where I was like, Oh, this person is not loving generously. This person is not showing up to care for me in a generous way. And so it must be because my, my heart isn't open enough. And so I would open my heart wider and wider and wider in the hopes that it would make a soft place for this other person to love me from and that's, that's actually like a huge distortion um, because someone else opening their heart is really their responsibility. If I open my heart in a moment of hurt, that's a gift to the relationship, but it, also, it probably shouldn't be a requirement of the other person, right? Because if we have two people where it's like, well, I'm not going to generously love you until you do X, Y, Z for me, that is not a safe healing environment. <laughs> that's not a safe healing environment. And so one of my edges over the last couple of years has been really 
again, using these agreements to show up in a way that is like how I like to love, how I want to love, how I love to love. And, and then knowing where that ends and then watching, does this other person meet me or not? And letting them be responsible for whether they meet me or don't. If you're loving the show, but haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Hit subscribe so that new episodes are delivered right into your podcast queue. That way you'll never miss a beat. My sixth agreement is choose courage over fear, choose love over fear. So the reason I picked this is because Um, This is really like the insurance policy I've created for myself because I have deep wounds. I have very deep wounds from losing my mom as a young one. I have deep wounds from the strain that my, my father and I's relationship endured after that loss. And I've had a couple of heartbreaks as an adult that were excruciating. And, and so... And even now, the truth is like, when I, oh, I'm getting emotional. Mm. When I start to consider opening my heart, like there's like almost like a feeling of terror, right? Of being hurt to that depth again, which let's be real. It's probably going to happen because that's life. Um, Because when we choose to love, we are also choosing to be hurt, (laughs) which is kind of the sacred paradox of it. Anyway, and so what I don't want is to let that terror govern my ability to love. And so I've created this agreement with myself and I am not always perfect at it, but when I do, again, it's like when you remember, that's when you course correct. And so I created these, this anchor of choosing courage and choosing love over fear to help me not live in fear and not let fear prevent me from loving, which is one of my top values. My seventh agreement is own my own well-being. Um, and this has been a practice of really mapping. I'm pretty hyper-analytical. I'm hyper-verbal. I have ADHD. <laughs> I would say that like I lean anxious uh, when it comes, when my attachment wounding is, is poked. And, and so sometimes what can be really hard is to find my own center. And so when I say own my own well-being, when I start to, when these things that kind of start to pull me away from my power, or my grounding, um, I just remember that my step one is always to recenter my own well-being. Um, and I, this is a bit more complex than I'll share in this podcast episode, but I've done a lot of work to figure out like, what are the, what are the tools that I need to implement? What are the practices I have? What are the, the beliefs that I need to remember in order to reconnect to that really powerful, grounded sense of aliveness, that sense of like being Fiora in the world, um, and remembering, that I like, I am a treasure and I am a wonderful person and I have worked so hard to cultivate myself into being and that, and that, and that I am inherently lovable, right? 
So um, own my own well-being is like, am I taking care of myself or am I outsourcing wanting other people to take care of me? So really bringing that back home. Eight, oldie but a goodie, open my heart and lean in when I most want to protect and pull away. I already told you the story of that one. Uh, Nine, ask, am I planting seeds now for the culture I want to share with this person? So I think that this is really important in courtship where oftentimes what we do in courtship is we present a version of ourselves, the version of ourselves that we think this other person is most likely to like. And we hide the parts of ourselves that we are afraid are the hardest to love. And if we do that, what we're planting seeds for is is performance. We're planting seeds for hiding the most vulnerable parts of us, the parts that us that need the most love. And so when I'm wondering like, what do I want to do? Or how do I want to show up? Or do I want to, I just had this with someone where we've been getting to know each other. They're on a long trip and, um, we made an agreement to, to, to table connecting while they're away and which feels to me the healthiest and most mature decision at this point. And then a little bit later I messaged them and I was like, Theora, <laughs> that's not honoring the agreement. And so I went and I like deleted the message um, because what I want is to plant seeds for a culture where when we make agreements, we uphold them. Did I do it perfect? No, I'm human. You're not going to do all these agreements perfectly. What's the most important is do you show up for them when you remember? Um, and so... I was like, oh, to be in integrity and to plant the culture that I want to, because I would want this person, if I had made, if, if we had made an agreement, I would want them to uphold our agreement, right? So that's just an example. Another is, am I planting seeds for the culture I want to share with this person is, am I, am I sharing what's on my heart? I don't want to plant seeds for a culture where um, I can't share when I'm feeling heavy hearted or when I'm feeling vulnerable. I don't want to plant seeds where I have to perfectly prepare everything I'm going to say and craft the per- perfect text message. I want to plant seeds where like there's some grace room for us to be messy and for us not to be perfect. And if I'm planting seeds where I will always do all of the work to communicate perfectly, what I'm going to do is probably attract someone that expects me and feels entitled to me doing all the work to express something perfectly, right? So I'm planting seeds for agil- for relational agility. I'm planting seeds for emotional maturity. I'm planting seeds for human messiness. I'm planting seeds for vulnerability. Number 10 is remember that the other person has a history of heartbreak that also needs healing. Remember that the other person has a history of heartbreak that also needs healing. And so I think especially as somebody who leans more anxious is when that gets activated, I forget that this other person might also be doing things to protect their heart. And I perceive them as like, all power, totally powerful. And when I can remember that everybody has histories of relational hurt and potentially attachment injury, what I can do is just be so much more compassionate and, and hold a healthier perspective on what's actually happening rather than maybe a distorted one. 
11. Bet on the connection to be able to handle problems. Choose to be collaborators, not antagonists always. So this is something that is, if you can do this early on, it is going to set you up for such a dynamic, agile relationship. Because what happens oftentimes in relationships is we cast the other person as the gatekeeper of our needs, meaning that they determine if we can or cannot experience what we want and what we need. And so when we cast them as gatekeepers, we're also making them them our antagonists. And it turns us into adversaries where I'm not going to love you because you're not doing what da da da, right? Like and it and it, it comes back to this it, it turns the relationship into a bit of a battlefield, sometimes subtle, so sometimes not so much. And one of the most powerful things I heard, and I wish I could remember who to give credit to, was that it's not you versus each other. It's the both of you versus the problem. And so if, if instead of it being like, I, gotta, I need to change my partner in order to solve this problem, it's like, I'm going to enlist my partner as a collaborator and we're going to figure out how to solve this problem in a way that honors them, honors me, and honors our relationship. We've made a nonlinear shift into an, an infinitely more creative and expansive place. Um, and if you want to understand this a little bit more, go listen to my podcast about oh shoot, did I do one yet? About the three dimensions of relating. And oh no, go listen to the podcast about devotion where what we do is we turn our relationships into these spiritual playgrounds where every problem is figure outable. And if we're not seeing it yet, it's simply because we're not seeing it yet. It's not because it can't be figured out. Um, and this is where you really get into like the juiciest sort of exalted space where you, you're, you're these artists, you're these artists leveraging your depth of commitment to become like wildly creative problem solvers. And it's, it's just more interesting. It's more fulfilling. It's really healing. And so, especially if you're in a relationship right now where you don't feel like you're on the same team, I would encourage you to adopt this one, which is betting on your connection to be able to handle problems, choosing your partner as a collaborator, not an antagonist always. 12, my agreement is choose grace and compassion for them and for me. I think for me, it's the hardest. I think I, I, pretty, I default oftentimes to assuming people's faults are due to, you know, family of origin hurts and, and, and uh, you know, coping mechanisms in response to trauma. And I oftentimes forget to be, to have grace and compassion with myself. So Seems pretty straightforward. 13, apologize as soon as possible and attend to repair that's needed. I re recently heard Esther Perel on her podcast say, the person who apologizes first is strongest. And I loved that because in any misunderstanding I've ever had, there's always been something that I could own. Whether it was... Whether, like, whether, like, let's say my partner really hurt me and it, there, there was something I could own where it's like, I'm sorry for not believing more in us and holding a healthier boundary. 
right? Where is like, is not, not being more committed to an accounting of blame. I'm not interested in a culture of blame in my partnership. I'm not interested. I'm not available. And I think one of the ways to protect against that is to really exalt apologizing and taking responsibility for the ways that we contribute. Not to, again, letting other people be responsible for their part, but it's also being really honest about what what I contributed. I think this also really protects against some of the four horsemen that um, that the Gottmans are, are famous for outlining, which is defensiveness. So um, de- defensiveness, turns out, doesn't really get you anywhere in relationship. And if anything, it kind of signs the, the death warrant. Is that a term? I don't know. Um, it, sign, it signs the end. It, like, it pretty much predicts. It's an omen that your relationship is headed for failure when defensiveness is permitted. And so if, if you can really own apologizing for the ways that you contribute to hurt feelings or misunderstandings or making your partner feel unsafe or for not voicing things out loud, you're going to set yourself off again for just like a much more loving healing relationship. And then what's equally important is attending to the repair that's needed. So yes, you can have a a conversation where you apologize and depending on the degree of rupture, you may need to check in later on to do residual repair. And it's not like if you're looking at this as a chore, we got we got to shift the way that you're looking at it, right? Like think about it. One of my favorite metaphors for a relationship is thinking of it as like this verdant garden, right? And in order to have like a healthy, thriving garden that that's blossoming and fruitful, like it requires water, it requires adequate light based on the plant's needs, and it oftentimes requires weeding. And so if you're just like, ugh, I hate weeding, then eventually your garden's going to become overrun and you're gonna, and some of the more beautiful plants are going to get choked out and it's going to drastically change the landscape. But if you shift it to, oh my gosh, all I have to do is weed a little bit in the morning, go out for five minutes and weed or, you know, set aside some intentional time on a Sunday and do like an hour, hour and a half whatever, right? Like if you can say, all I have to do is this little bit of weeding and this little bit of watering, this little bit of work. And, and the result is this blossoming, verdant, fruitful garden. Then again, showing up for the work of your relationship, showing up for the repair that's required is going, you're going to be able to see the asymmetric reward. And so I would, I would encourage you to really take it on as like a sacred, a sacred curriculum, of again, am I being a stand for the kind of love that I want to see in the world? Am I modeling what the kind of the kind of relating that I want people to know is possible? And then 14, my last agreement, my last the last agreement of my covenant is remember that you are inherently lovable. You do not need to help anyone to choose you. Someone who is able and ready will be clear in their intentions and act accordingly. This is incredibly important for me. Like I said, I lost my mom when I was young. And, and what's, I think what's frustrating about it 
for me sometimes is it was so devastating. It, I mean, it was and it continues to be so devastating. And it also sort of wrote this software program in me that and the way that my like childhood neurology understood that loss was that I wasn't worth staying for. And so the way that that's played itself out in my adult life is I've, I've unconsciously picked relationships that I really had to work to earn people's love. Because I think what my subconscious mind concluded was, well, if I, if I know how to earn their love, then I'll know how to keep it. Which, okay, like from on a subconscious level, that makes sense. Unfortunately, what it means is that I've put myself in dynamics where my partners, uh, again, they were totally unconscious about this too, but they would basically ask me to jump through hoops before they would give love and care. And that I needed to make them comfortable in order for them to give love and care. And, um, which is, is, is very painful in its own right. And it's never, it's not a, it's not a fulfilling relationship and it's not a fulfilling way to be loved because you feel loved so rarely. And so this has, this I would say is maybe my biggest homework assignment right now is coming back into that remembrance of, how lovely of a person I am, how hard I have worked to become the woman I am, how inherently lovable I am, how choosable I am, and to be very wary when I find my, if I find a dynamic unfolding where that is not the dynamic, right? Where I'm getting feedback that it's hard to, choose in to connection with me and I would say that this is the hardest one for me to remember because that having to work for love is so familiar it's so familiar I did it for so long that it feels more like home to my body Um, because our nervous systems you know They'll choose what's familiar, even if it's harmful, over what's not familiar. They'll choose the devil it knows over the devil it doesn't. And what's much less familiar for me is is being chosen and and being the recipient of someone who has their own relationship to the way that they partner in love, which is probably what what, you know, inspired me to create this covenant in the first place, right? Was I was like, I want to be this. And I also would love to be on the receiving end of this. So, so, so you can see how some of these are very actionable and some of these are beliefs that I'm rehearsing in, in, in a commitment to, to make them more real. And, and, um, they're, they're included in the show notes below. And what I want to invite you to do is create your own, create one to three of your own. Um, You're more than welcome to take any of the ones that I've shared with you here and start with them. And these are not necessarily right for everyone. Some of these might be already second nature to you and you don't need reminders, but Make them short and sweet and easy to remember so that in the heat of the moment, 
because like in the heat of the moment, in the moment of a hurt feeling, in the moment of a miscommunication, in the moment of a disconnect, we revert to our most practiced way of being, which is not usually our most mature, compassionate, loving way of being. And so I want you to have something that you can hear, you can hear when you're like on a bus or getting or like running errands or like in the shower and go, oh, right, when I want to close my heart, that's when I open it. When I want to close my heart, that's when I open it. Okay, so I can tell my heart is closed. What would opening my heart look like right now? It's like, well, opening my heart would be going out to the kitchen and telling my partner, I'm sorry. And just saying, I'm sorry, right? Um, I don't know, it'll be unique to the moment. Um, but make it short and sweet so you can remember it in the moment. And then remember that like any skill, it requires practice. You're not going to be a master at it at first. You're going to be pretty bad at it at first. And then you'll be clumsy and then you'll be okay. And then you'll be good. And then you'll be great. And then you'll be a master. But again, the reward you will experience on the other end of this practice will radically transform your entire life. Um, and so I just want to invite you, take, take it on, try give yourself like 90 days. I'm going to practice this for 90 days and then just see like what, what has changed in my relationships and my quality of life and my relationship with myself. I'm so glad I, I decided to share this with you. Um, and as always, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you thought. I'd love to hear any ahas. Um, so I hope to see you in the DMs and I'll answer any questions. And oh, even juicier, if you have come up with own or you've decided to to borrow one of mine to start, I would love to know um, what, what are your first few agreements that you are going to practice in your intentional relating covenant. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode. If you haven't yet, please take two minutes to write a five-star glowing review. It's the most powerful way you can help us grow. It boosts our visibility so that other beautiful weirdos and curious worldlings can find us and join the conversation. Until next time, please be ferociously you.